Welcome to the How to Resist podcast. My name is Will O'Neill. The How to Resist podcast is a space for talking about how anyone can become an activist and take a strategic approach to resisting the Trump administration and making an impact in their communities, their workplace, their country, and the world. Each week, we're going to sit down with an activist who will tell us how they came to be empowered and how they resist the injustices they see around them and the Donald Trump administration. How to Resist isn't a space where we're going to try to convince you why it's important to resist injustice in general and Trump in particular. There are plenty of other places for that conversation. We're here to let you know that you are empowered to make change in the world around you. Since we produced our first episode, we've seen the Trump administration blame Muslims for two different fictional terrorist attacks and ramp up ICE raids on immigrant families. We learned that 100,000 visas were revoked by Trump's executive order. Trump has started dismantling Dodd-Frank and putting Wall Street back in charge of the economy. He gave Steve Bannon a seat on the National Security Council, an unprecedented step for a political advisor. It doesn't sound like he's reading his presidential memos, and the words of the executive orders he's signing, it looks like he's skipping those too. He's attacked the judiciary, seemingly mystified at the separation of powers outlined in the Constitution. Betsy DeVos was confirmed as Secretary of Education, with all Democrats and two Republicans voting against her. And Jeff Sessions was confirmed as Attorney General, with Joe Manchin of West Virginia being the only Democrat voting in favor. But progressives are fighting back. Pressure from activists has begun to make the Affordable Care Act a third rail in American politics, with grassroots activists shouting down a congressman who pulled out the old death panel lie. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, previously best known for sleeping in a cot in his congressional office instead of getting an apartment like an adult, left a town hall early after constituents demanded he investigate Trump's conflicts of interest from his post as chairperson of the Congressional Ethics Committee. Immigration activists are coming together, and we've seen massive pushbacks against both the planned wall along our southern border and the administration's assault on refugees and Muslim immigrants. This week on the show, I'll be speaking with Lindsay Deming. Lindsay is an entertainer, writer, video producer, and arts educator. She's the manager of digital learning at the Smithsonian Institute's Hirshhorn Museum's Art Lab program. Her live comedy show, Church Night, hosts performances in Washington, D.C., New York City, and Los Angeles, and its companion web video series, Church Night TV, was the winner of Best Comedy Web Series and Best Comedy Lead Actress at LA WebFest. Lindsay was instrumental in organizing the What a Joke Comedy Festival, a multi-city comedy festival which raised money for the ACLU and aimed its barbs at Donald Trump. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Will. How are you, Sad? I'm great. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear it. Um, so, Lindsay, how are you resisting? How am I resisting? Well, I'm trying to write better comedy. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to raise money for causes I care about and donate to causes I care about. I'm trying to protest, go to rallies, read paper, pay for journalism, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. Interesting. I, 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 I like that you bring up paying for journalism because... That's going to be such a key thing to be doing that we actually have to start paying for the journalism that we want to read because the stuff that's free is shit. Right. People have paid for newspapers forever. It's only been recently that everyone thinks that any media should be free. 
And yeah, we have we have to pay for quality journalists to keep working. Right. Um, how are you how are you defining your activism? You said that you're raising money. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, okay, so uh over inauguration weekend I um produced the co-produced the DC leg of What a Joke Festival. It was a comedy festival to raise money for the ACLU and it was part of it's a national festival. So it happened in Oh my gosh, I'm going to get the number wrong. And I, I had all the information that weekend, but it was like 34 cities, uh, including Oxford, England. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, you just have to not list out the cities. That way you're not missing it. Yeah. Yeah. I will not list out the cities, but I believe it was 34. And it was started in New York City by Jen Welch and Emily Winter um, right after the election because they were like, we need to do something. Let's do something with comedy because they're stand-up comedians and they pulled this thing together in, you know, a couple months and over the holidays, which is tough to organize a festival over the holidays. No, no, no one wants to interrupt the, the turkey and the ham. Exactly. How'd you get involved? I got involved because the other DC producer, Catherine Jessup, is an amazing stand-up comedian and she was um, asked to do it from Jen or Emily, I can't remember, and then Catherine... Um, really felt like since DC, it's kind of ground zero for this whole thing that we should do several shows. And she didn't, you know, she knew she was going to need some help with that. And since I run another comedy show, she asked me for help and I gladly jumped on board. And being part of the comedy community in DC, you really brought that to activism. Can you tell me what it's like to take a community that you're already a part of and bring that into the activism space with you? Sure. I think really, if, if you're a part of a community, there's some way to be, you know, to activate that community. Um, for comedy, it's easy because, you know, we have shows, we sell tickets, that's money right there. And really, I think at the end of the day, like where you put your money is the best way to be an activist, whether it's from buying local to supporting women and minority owned businesses to, you know, putting on shows or having a happy hour fundraiser for a, an organization that you care about. And um, we raised money for the ACLU. We actually raised nationally over $50,000. And in D.C., we raised $10,000. That's a lot of money. That's a, it's pretty good. Comedy, you know, 10 bucks a ticket. That's that's, that's a good. lot. That's a lot of laughs. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of laughs. I might have to cut that out because that was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think of yourself as an activist? Um. It's funny because I never really did um, until recently. And I, I guess I, I do think I'm an activist. I've always thought it's important to say something with the art or the performance or the writing that I'm doing. Um, I've always thought it was important for me to work somewhere that I believed in the cause. So like now I'm like, I guess I am an activist. But just not in like that traditional sense that you think of it, you know, like I'm not like founding some organization or I'm not, you know, standing at the picket lines, you know, with the sign in my hand all the time. Um, yeah, I'm not writing articles or anything like that. But and, and I think that that brings up a really important point. And it's that people have a lot of misconceptions about what activism is. And yes, I think that they define activism very narrowly as out in front of the White House with a sign. Yes. 
um, or out in front of their congressperson's office, but there's so many more opportunities to engage in activism. Right. Um, and so taking the comedy community and putting your activism through that mm-hmm. sort of community lens, um, what did you find that people like had misconceptions about um, or how do you bring people along with you? Um, that's a good question. I, I think people maybe had misconceptions that, you know, comedy can't be political, um, or maybe comedy should be a relief to some of the heightened tension that people were feeling right after the election. You know, um, I know a lot of comedians were like, well, we don't want to make jokes about this because it makes people uncomfortable, um, things like that. But I, I think even if, if you're not ready to make jokes about like the Trump administration or the state, the state of our country, you can still take, you know, what you do making people laugh and turn that into something that can make a political or active activist statement. Um, so I'd say that's the misconception among a lot of performers is that they can't use comedy, you know, to, to be politically engaged when you actually can without directly kind of saying it on the nose, doing Mm -hmm. it on the nose. Mm -hmm. Do you think that artists have some responsibility to the body politic? Oh yes, absolutely. I think like, if (laughs) I think, I think artists have like some of the most responsibility over, over anybody really, because, um, Art stimulates change. Art influences culture. And I'm talking in the broad, broad spectrum here. Mm -hmm. You know, when I talk about art, I'm, I mean, I'm including TV or even like, you know, advertisements really in that. I mean, any, any design performance, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's the sort of strategy behind, um, doing these fundraisers and bringing these communities together to make change targeting the Trump administration. Why, why was the, the, what a joke comedy festival. If people don't know about it, they had red hats that said, what a joke that looked like the Trump make America great again, hats. Um, How did you target the Trump administration and sort of let that community know that what they're doing is not okay? Um, I would say the hats were a big statement piece, you know, when you say what a joke on that hat that looks like made America great again hat, it's a direct insult. Um, Were yours made in China like his? You know what? I think they might've been, I didn't, I was not the organizer of the hats. (laughs) Um, It actually felt sidetracking a little bit. It felt, I bought one of the hats for myself and it felt really weird to wear that hat around DC that weekend because from the side or the back, like you totally looked like a Trump supporter in Mm -hmm. that hat. So whenever I left the like safe space of the comedy room, I like took the hat off because I was like, I'm just like, I don't want people to think I'm a Trump supporter. (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny. But, um, I think that's one way of, you know, actively standing up against the Trump administration. The other was in just the, like the description of the festival at a, at um, that we put out in press releases. Um, Emily and Jen Welch came up with it. And 
I think the basis of it was like, because of our president-elect's repeated threats against our human rights, we're going to come together and raise money for the ACLU. So it was like in in the mission statement of the festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and what have you been doing? Like, What's the impact that you felt that you made through that or, or any other activism work that you've been doing? Um, I mean, the impact is obviously the money, right? Because we've already seen... ACLU um, stand up for people that were stuck in airports that weren't allowed into the U.S. They're already, you know, getting federal judges to look at that and overturn it. Um, So I would say, like, just that direct uh, link there, I can see. But I also think, like, it was so important to come together with like-minded people And to say, like, we are all doing this together. We're all resisting together. And we can do that and have a good time sometimes. It doesn't all have to be kind of hard and angry and fighting. And, you know, we we can make change and kind of have fun at the same same time, Yeah, which is really cool. No, that's really cool. And and one of the things that I want to talk about with everyone that I have on this show is how they're taking care of themselves and how they're preventing burnout and how they're doing self care. Mm -hmm. Um, But it sounds almost as though with the what a joke festival, you were combining the taking care of yourself, creating community, having safe space with the actual activism event itself. Could you tell me how do you take care of yourself? And do you think that comedy is a way that we need to take care of ourselves? That's a good question. You know, what's funny is right after that weekend, I got really sick. (laughs) That was last week. And I was like, oh, I like burned myself out here a little bit. Um, So taking care of myself, um, mentally, emotionally, comedy is big for that. I mean, I've used comedy to get through so many, you know, pitfalls in my personal life. Um, It's how I've dealt with like, my upbringing and my relationship with religion. It's, it's, it's therapy, you know, like if you can look at something bad and find the humor in it, because at the end of the end of the day, we're all just like living on this planet. It's kind of messed up here. There's a lot of bad things going on. We're all going to die one day. And like, there's, there's humor in that. And sometimes there's humor, uh, making jokes about things is kind of like, letting go of that thing controlling you. So you're, you're releasing control. You're kind of letting the universe do its thing. Um, yeah. So that's one way. I don't know any other ways. I guess I'm, I'm just trying to live my life too. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to like take, let, let this thing take over me every day. When, when I check the news in the morning, you know, I, I try not to obsess over the news the rest of the day. Like I read my, my New York times and my Washington post in the morning. I might read the guardian or something. And then, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not constantly looking at my phone. Like I was over the election. Mm. I was constantly looking at my phone. Like what happened? Like what stupid thing did Trump do? He's going down. It was like, this weird like sporting event almost. I I have both. I need to change this. I have both the Washington post and the New York times alerts on, on my phone. And sometimes it's just a competition to see who will ding my phone first with like bad news, whether it's going to be the Washington post or the New York times. 
Oh, but I need to turn that off. Yeah, you just need to turn it off. You need to unplug. You need to look out up at the trees and at the people around you and recognize like the world is not has not ended. We're still trucking along. Like it's like don't freak out. Like let's just like do this and do it step by step and you know do it in a smart way. <laughs> and freaking out is not smart. No, absolutely. And and you know we've got you know, 200 more weeks of this, 200 something more weeks of the Trump administration, uh, at the very least, um, you know, knock on wood, uh, no second term, but also like maybe impeachment, that would be great. But, um, what, what, what's been your favorite experience so far sort of resisting the Trump administration? Oh, it's gotta be the women's March. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, come on, were you there? Absolutely. In DC? Absolutely. It was, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Like I walked there from up where I live, which is like three miles North of the Capitol building on North Capitol street. So I walked there with a group of friends and like, you know, the further we got or the closer we got to downtown, the more and more people we started to see and their pink hats with their signs and families and just women. And then we get down into Chinatown and we see this like sea of human and yeah. it was just like all wearing the pink hats yeah da- yeah like at first i had issues with the pink hats i thought it was too cutesy really i loved it well yeah but that i changed my mind I yeah. com- I th- when i saw it happening i was like no i get this hat thing and the fact that most of them were like knitted by a woman that like couldn't be there it, yeah that, that was my favorite part about that, that yeah it was- inclusive to people who couldn't be there, be they disabled, be they, you know, have personal responsibilities at home. Yes. You know, you saw that those, that sea of women, and then you saw all those pink hats represent represent someone someone else. else. I know. I know. So that was just so powerful. And to see like, okay, there are a lot of us, we can make a big enough stink to where we're gonna like get some notice for this mm-hmm. i cool. yeah i i think it's so interesting i think it ca- caught so many people off guard that that was something that started from a facebook event and it threw into chaos all of our ideas about how activism happens and i think that um I know me personally i've been feeling unmoored by the fact that there used to be all these norms about what a presidential candidate could or could not right, do. Right. And Donald Trump has turned that on his head. If anyone else had a recording of him saying that it was okay for him to sexually assault women because he was a celebrity, right. He would have been, been out. Um, and all of these things just sort of turned how we do our, a lot of our assumptions about how politics works on its head. Right. But the women's March turned in some ways, how we think about activism on its head because a Facebook event that actually became a thing and, you know, sucked all of the regular sort of everyday progressive groups that had already been doing work on these issues sucked them into the Women's March right. and really had it driven by the people that wanted to participate rather than the organizations that might normally take a lead on something like yeah. that. Yeah. I think like at the end of the day, what we're seeing from this whole election is like the people are a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Good and 
not so good. You know, we're seeing the good, bad, and the ugly of, of the people in this country. And it's amazing what a big group of people can do good yeah. and vote for someone who said horrible things. Yeah. Um, what, speaking of the horrible things, what, what are some of the things that you think are most horrible? What, what, what's concerning you the most? Like with what's going on now or like what he's said or done with what he's either doing or saying or, or... Oh my gosh, this, I mean, God, this Muslim ban thing, I, I mean, already, that's just horrific, mm-hmm. horrific. I mean, I have a friend who's not Muslim. She's from Canada. She's a NASA scientist. She's going on a trip to Gabon and her visa's expiring and he's making all these changes to visa programs. Like she doesn't even know if she's going to be able to come back to the U.S. Um, I think... America first is a really scary philosophy Mm -hmm. and I think it doesn't make any sense at all in 2017 to say America first, like the entire world, we're we're globalized, right? So that's why a lot of these kind of problems are coming up too, right? But a lot of good things are happening from globalization as well. And it's extremely complicated. Technology is moving faster than we're ready for. Yeah. And when, we, when we talk about how our society is disrupted, when technology, people talk about that, they say, you know, a new app or a new device or a new way of thinking that people are trying to catch up to. And I think right. that we've really been disrupted by globalization because we yes. don't really know how to deal with we a don't. lot of the things that have happened. And America first makes no sense because yeah, we're, we're physically here on this, you know, land that's bordered by two countries and two oceans um, with a couple satellite locations, Hawaii <laughs> and Alaska. But, um, but like, like America also exists like on the internet, on TV and we, we communicate with the entire world. That's how humanity is going to get better. And I just think America First is such a dangerous, outdated philosophy. I think it should be like humanity first and not how can America, you know, nurture the world and police the world and all of that. But how can we empower other countries and mm-hmm. work with other countries so that we can all rise up together? Right. Inst- instead of him making digs at Australia. I'm Australia now? Like, there are buds. I know. They're like Canadians with better weather. Well, you know what? He's going to be doing some tough things from here on out. It was a tough call. He's going to talk about tough things. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, this is so hyper masculine, too. Which oh, is it's the such, other... such toxic masculinity. Oh, God. With the... Yeah, and that's the other hard thing for me is like, we were about to have a woman in the White House, a woman, and we were going to see... And a feminist. A feminist, a strong feminist. And yeah, maybe she wasn't like everyone's favorite candidate, but you know what? There's not a lot of women to choose from, and I'd say she was a pretty dang good one. And the fact that who we got instead is just this like hyper-masculine, fragile, egotistical human being is just like, oh, I feel like it's the last sort of gasp of that old patriarchal generation. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope it's the last gasp. Yeah, I hope I, we can snuff them out. And, and I think <laughs> that that's a, a really important point. I think that there are a lot of um, people who are in the elder generation who 
are compassionate people and we certainly love Absolutely. a lot of those people. Um, but that generation voted for Trump, uh, whereas right. the younger generations voted overwhelmingly for for Clinton are overwhelmingly less trustworthy of the economic systems that we have in place because right. they're being disadvantaged by those economic right. systems. Right. And there is this sort of like last gasp of the me generation, the baby boom generation mm -hmm. that said, well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, just fuck you one last time. <laughs> I think so. I think they're, mm -hmm. they're going out with a bang. <laughs> yeah. How can someone plug into the work that you're doing? So what a joke festival will just to kind of close that conversation. What a joke festival. I think they're going to try to do it again next year. So next January, you know, look out for that. Um, I also put on regular comedy shows um, in DC, New York and Los Angeles. And my show is called church night. It's a very provocative religious satire. And there's also a web series that goes along with there's that. There's a web series that goes along with that called church night TV. Um, and we're, we hope to uh, donate parts of our proceeds from the shows from here forward. Our content is getting pretty political. Um, it's kind of always been, but even, even more so we're trying to tackle, you know, big issues that are kind of related to what's going on. Um, so yeah, come see church night, check us out online. Very cool. Very cool. And I, I know that you've done a lot of political work on that. And I, I think I was at your gun control. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Show. That. <laughs> the youth minister, Kathy was stacked with guns at that show. There was so many guns at that show. <laughs> we wanted to protect our audience. It was important. What if a ninja came in and tried to steal everything from you? You heard it here. Y'all <laughs> only way to protect yourself from ninja. <laughs> Gun. Gun. Ninja. Is, is the plural of ninja ninja or ninjas? I think it's ninjas. Maybe it's ninjum. Ninjum. That would be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> it's definitely not. All right. Now it is time for the how to resist quick question round. You ready? Oh, gosh. All right. Is, is it okay to punch a Nazi in the face? No. Uh, what's a dumb thing that a counter-protester has yelled at you? Uh, um, it's my uh, not my rights. They're trying to take away. It's yours. Uh, what was the last book you read? Uh, Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Uh, three quick tips for someone who wants to resist the Trump administration? Uh, um, donate to somebody, shop local, and, um, and be loud. <laughs> what's the worst thing Trump's done yet? Uh, uh, what's his name? Bannon. Steve Bannon. Everything Bannon. Everything Bannon. Um, what's a question that you would like to hear on this podcast? Uh, I would like to hear about how can ask about how women can elevate their feminism. <laughs> um, what's the favorite chant that you've heard? Um, no hate, no fear. Immigrants welcome here. Uh, what song gets you pumped up for activism? Oh God, uh, we are family. All right. What's, <laughs> what's the best sign you've seen at a rally? Best sign? Ah. Uh, I think it was just a, a, a 3D uterus. 3D uterus. All right, what's your favorite sitcom? Um, I love Lucy. All right, what podcast did you last listen to? What's the Tea with RuPaul and Michelle Visage. Ooh. Uh, who's your least favorite member of Congress? Uh, oh, excuse me, Steve King. Uh, and your favorite member of Congress? Uh, Elizabeth Warren. All right, that's all the time we oh have for gosh. that. <laughs> now, Elizabeth Warren, is that's a strong, strong answer. Thank you. 
I'm, I will take credit for that answer. No, <laughs> she's the, come on, she's the best. She's such a fighter. Yeah. I love her. Steve King is the congressman from my hometown, and he's god awful. God awful. um so thanks for being on um what would you tell someone who wants to be involved like someone who just went to the women's march um or wanted or was in the women's march in their town where we had you know millions of people across the globe being involved um is really concerned about what's going on maybe it's just getting their foot in the door in activism for the first time Sure. What would you tell them? What can they expect? Uh, and where should they start? I would say don't put pressure on yourself to be this big person. You know, you're not going to uh, right away. You're not going to be like leading marches and, you know, doing huge things. But every you can build on that and start by staying informed, paying for your journalism um, donate and just anything little extra to something you care about, you know, and then find what makes you tick and what's your passion and figure out a way that you can activate that. So whether it's raising money or donating something you make or whatever, helping somebody out who needs a hand, telling jokes, tell some jokes that are challenging do something that's challenging to yourself that challenges those around you because we're not going to get anywhere if we just keep watching TV and going to brunch. And what would you tell someone just like, would, is there anything that you'd like to tell someone that might be listening to this podcast? Um, I would say thank you for listening to this podcast. Cause just by listening to this podcast, you're doing something for your mind that will help you think about these things. And I'd say, um, stay strong, breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Will. All right. Hugs. Hugs. We hug at this podcast. We do hug at this podcast. <laughs>Thanks for listening to How to Resist, and thanks to Lindsay Deming for being our guest today. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. Notes from the show, including links, can be found on howtoresistpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email updates. Thanks to Beth Soderberg, LLC, for help with our website, Sariel Liani for our logo and design, and Carolyn Hanrahan for production assistance. Thank you for listening. I'm Will O'Neill, and thank you for assisting.